Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of The End of Sport, a podcast on capitalist sport, labor, and harm in sporting culture with your hosts, Johanna Mellis, Nathan Kalman-Lamb, and Derek Silva. If you're enjoying the show, please reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at endofsportpod, or check out our website at www.theendofsport.com, where you can find details on how to support the show via Patreon. With that said, we hope you enjoyed this episode of The End of Sport. We at The End of Sport have a really, really cool episode for you today. I am joined by past End of Sport guest and historian of gymnastics extraordinaire, Georgia Servin, who is a former gymnast and a true gymnastics expert, and she's going to be my co-host for the episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Georgia. Thank you for having me back, Joanna. It's really cool to be here. and I'm really excited to talk to Blake and Kino. So as Georgia said, we're going to be interviewing the co-hosts of the podcast called Half In, Half Out, uh, who are named Blake and Kino, and they are both former gymnasts and fan fans of the sport. And in January 2020, happy belated birthday, by the way, um, they started the first ever podcast about queer gymnastics, which, as I mentioned, is called Half In and Half Out. Now, Blake and Kino, we are also super excited to have you with us today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, thanks for the congratulations or I guess the happy anniversary. Thank you for having us and thanks for the thanks for the happy anniversary. It's very exciting. So we'd love to start off with the reasons why you started the podcast a little over a year ago. And in the first episode of Half In, Half Out, Blake, you mentioned something that seems really important and that we'd love to hear you both expand on. Um, and this is when you said, quote, gymnastics hasn't historically been a space where LGBTQI people have been celebrated or acknowledged or made to feel safe in any kind of way. And so finding somebody who is also queer and who is a gym fan was really great and also kind of led us to want to talk about that experience with as many people as we could on here. Now, would you both mind sort of expanding on what you meant and how it influenced the creation of the podcast? <laughs> so um, as a trans person who was in gymnastics from the ages of like three to 13 and then uh, realized that I was a trans person, um, medically and socially began transitioning and then returned to gymnastics at the age of like 26 or 27. Um, just like personally, that was really terrifying to like walk into a gym again. Um, that I like never heard of any other trans person doing that in any context. Um, and that I had no expectation for that to really be a place that I could be out at all. Um, and my, and I, I'm not the kind of person who's not out in spaces. Like I'm just very out all the time everywhere. And that was the first time like really ever in my adult life that I'd been like, I'm going to choose to not be out in a space. Um, and so that wasn't too long. Me going back to gymnastics wasn't too long before we met and so I think by the time we met I was like I have to talk about this with somebody because like it it the only people I know right now who in real life who are in gymnastics are these people at this gym who I don't really know yet and like don't know anything about my gender or queerness or anything um 
And then just like getting to meet another queer person was like, okay, like I can have this conversation with somebody. Um, and then to have the reflected back of like, yeah, I also like wanted to have this conversation for a long time. Um, then I was like, oh, okay, like that, it can't just be us two then who, who would want to have this conversation or who would benefit from this conversation. Um, and so, and I also was like, well, there's like, we don't really know of any out people. I think we were just chatting about that. Um, and part of that for me was like, well, then it really can't be a, for the people who are queer in the sport. Like there's no way that they're having a great time for the most part, at least like what I thought. So, um, I was like, whether we're looking at stuff like me, where it's like a person who walked in and was really anxious and then like everything's been great or someone who had a really bad experience or talking about just like the parts of the conversation we aren't or weren't having. I was like, well, all of that's good for me. Like whatever parts of that we can do for as long as we can, let's have that conversation. Um, and then that just kind of like turned into everything else that we've, that we've done. Until I met Blake, I had never had an opportunity to talk about queerness and gymnastics because the space has not lent itself to that. Um, you know, before this past year, we'd had gymnasts come out either late in their careers or after their careers, but these conversations weren't being had. Um, and I think that can is just a result of gymnastics not being a very inclusive space, which we'll talk about later. But ultimately, I do think that the fact that you don't have out people in a sport is very telling of how inclusive that space really is. Um, and I think that one of our goals with this podcast has been to make a space for people to be able to talk about those things. There's a reason that Ella Douglas from MSU thought she was the only out gymnast because um, people were talking about it, but in their own little pockets. Like we found out very shortly after that Savannah Shane Hare um, had a girlfriend and it was like, okay, we need to connect these people because the LGBTQ plus community in gymnastics clearly does exist, but they're so far away. Um, from each other either like you know physically or they just don't know that each other exists um and I don't know as a fan finding someone else to talk about you know gymnastics and also just the queer experience in general is really nice um because you know sometimes all those things go together uh but I think it's also really great that queer gymnasts are able to find other queer gymnasts to talk to you as well um because they're not alone um they just don't know about each other yet I wanted to ask what you both um like you must have learned a lot over this last year doing this podcast and it'd be cool to hear about some of the things that have stood out to you that you've learned the big thing for me has been like that there are so many out queer people in the sport or like that there are so many queer people in the sport who have like since come out um and most of those people are in like the wag side of the sport, um, which is just like not what we were anticipating at all. Um, and so that to me was a big shift of just like, who are we talking about when we talk about the LGBTQ plus community in gymnastics, like the visible parts or the invisible parts, just that has shifted a lot for me. Um, for the most part, we've learned that those experiences have experiences have been more positive than I would have anticipated for most of those 
athletes. Um, and I think we've learned a lot about just how many, I mean, we knew because just like anecdotally we knew, but like how many queer people and especially like trans and non-binary people are watching gymnastics. Uh, and then also how many like straight cisgender, which is just the word for a person who's not trans, but like how many straight cisgender people were interested in listening and listening to this conversation and like us talking about LGBT stuff in gymnastics. Um, and so it's been, it's very different from our original, like, let's talk about how there's no conversation. Now we're like, okay, there's like a million conversations that we get to have, which is really cool. Mm. So you've kind of like revealed this unknown kind of need or this huge community that has just kind of been unacknowledged before. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and I think that like, some of it was just coincidence. Um, like, Kalyani Steele was the first uh, NCAA women's gymnast to come out in kind of like this chain of people who came out over like the spring and summer. Um, and we were like barely established at that point. Um, and then the first person we interviewed, like, and the first person we interviewed just prior to that had said, like, I think I'm the only like out lesbian in gymnastics. And then Everyone on Twitter was like, uh, no, here's like a list of all these other people. Um, and so it's, yeah, it was just, it was super unexpected. Um, and I think to that degree, like finding all of these people, it's like us, us being there was important for there's just like be someone to tell and to kind of gather that data. Um, but like for the most part, the community was, was totally there. Uh, and yeah, just like had not been acknowledged at all. And I think a lot of people just didn't feel comfortable to like acknowledge stuff publicly or just never got the chance. I think a lot of it really is that, that nobody ever asked. Yeah. You've kind of identified a few things that I want to ask about, but just for the, for the next question, I want to ask if you see a difference in different parts of the gymnastics community, like from fans to coaches or gymnasts, do they behave differently about queerness? Yeah, I think a lot of it's more like generational though than like who the people are. Um, like younger younger coaches are similar to like the younger athletes and like older coaches are I think similar to like older athletes. But there are definitely like differences within the gymnastics community. There's a ton of exceptions and there's teams where we're like, we're not expecting anyone to come out anytime soon. Um, and then there are teams that have like multiple out people on them in college. Um, and the limited amount of times we've talked to folks who are working with youth, like who are just not in college. Um, those folks have been like, yeah, like today, like the kids are pretty like with it so far. So that's been like nice to hear. Like the future seems pretty bright and also like, yeah, there, there's a ton of exceptions, though. Another one is, like, I've gotten to Twitter fights with people who are, like, a little bit younger than me, like, in their early 20s to people who are in their, like, 30s and 40s about, like, whether or not trans women should be able to compete in, like, women's gymnastics. So um, I think particularly with, like, trans-related issues, people are really transphobic like across the, across the board but um with like queerness in the sport i think 
at least the younger generation for the most part, like coaches, athletes, fans are all pretty much like, oh, thank God this is happening, finally. Mm. Mm. You know, that last point is um, interesting because I, in my, I'm a historian of gymnastics and in my research, I haven't come across sex testing in gymnastics like it is, like it has been for a long time in a lot of other sports. And I just yeah. think that that exception is actually quite interesting and I had thought it's potentially because basically the performance rules are about kind of acting feminine. And so like, it's not yeah. about your sex necessarily. It is more about your performance and your behavior. And I think that's just an, quite an interesting thing about our sport. Yeah. I wish that that was like the reality of the situation Yeah, um, because then we would have like so many amazing people who were not assigned female at birth, like mm. doing amazing, beautiful, like feminine gymnastics. Mm. Um, also, I, and Kina, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Kathy Johnson Clark talked about sex verification happening. I think, I think you're, you're what you guys are saying, because um, that was an Olympic rule. Um, and so I should clarify when yeah. I say I haven't seen evidence, I haven't seen evidence of it being an FIG Rule, yeah. which may, that's the exception which is that's that's because um the fig has found other ways mm-hmm. to exclude us yeah. so that has historically been just saying like it, it can only just say like you have to be assigned female at birth to compete in women's gymnastics or like you have to be mm-hmm. female like the more vague the rule is the more like different ways it can be applied so it was just always applied in transphobic ways mm-hmm. um and then over time if those were challenged, either publicly or privately, they would get more and more specific. So mm-hmm. um, even up until very recently, like, yeah, like USAG's policies recently changed, um, but at, to now match FIGs, which is like relatively not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, have definitely like the the gender policingness that comes along with like celebrating masculinity and femininity mm-hmm. has been used to exclude queer people mm-hmm. at the same time. There, there's so many different directions we could go in this, and I, and I guess one thing I wanted to hit on that 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 like you said was this sort of re I don't want to like resurgence or like the spike once again of like the transphobic rhetoric has just ever since like, you know, Biden passed the, 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 or whatever, whatever, when he came out and said, I support, you know, inclusive sports or whatever in January, it's just been sort of this, like this reemergence of like so much transphobia. It's like all over Twitter and, and like lots of Twitter battles and stuff like that. I've seen little bits of it here and there that seem like it's specific to the gymnastics community, but I'm a swimmer. So like I focus on Nancy Hogshead, what is her name? Nancy Hogshead Maker, who's like awful. She's awful. She's a huge figure in the swimming community. And she's been a huge like anti-abuse advocate, um, like anti-like sexual abuse advocate. So she's she's she, she's a very ugly, ugly person. Um, but anyway, so that that's I mean, we're that's a hugely important issue. Um and, and you know, I think it, it leads to this question of, you know, the the, the perp one of the as you've been saying, one of the main kind of goals of the podcast has been to really spotlight the stories and the insights of gymnasts, coaches, and fans who are to some extent out um, and, and really letting people know about their identity and, and what they're what it is that they're doing for the sport. 
And so I wanted to ask, you know, what does it mean for an athlete who is working, an athlete or a fan actually, who's working within a pretty exclusively heterosexual cis space to find people to trust with their sexual and gender identity? Um, I think it's really important for gymnasts who are working in a really heteronormative, heterosexual cis space to be able to find people who they can trust with all of these different um, facets of queerness because a lot of these kids are at a very young and impressionable age. Um, and, the, and what I mean by that is that they're young and they're figuring things out. And if you don't have a space to be able to talk about those things, it's very mentally taxing. Like having other queer people around would be ideal. Um, and we were just talking to somebody else yesterday and they kind of described it as like they can speak like in their own language. Basically, like they're not always having to like think about what they're saying or how they're like being perceived that they can just kind of like speak fluently in their like normal everyday like queerness. Um, having someone supportive who like isn't queer is like kind of like the next best, best thing in that. Um, and my example for this is like, I'm not worried about if somebody comes out at Arkansas under like Jordan Weaver and Felicia Hano. Like, I'm just, like, not worried about that person in the same way I might be on another team. Um, because we know that these are folks who have, like, vocally said um, that they're supportive of this community. Uh, and that really just gives people permission to, like, be themselves and to, like, not put up uh, the wall that they've probably had to put up in a lot of spaces a lot of their life. Um, and if you're not putting that wall up like you're able to actually focus on the gymnastics or like building the relationships with your team or like safety <laughs> um instead of being like constantly distracted by like people are asked like talking about their boyfriends and are you going to pretend you have one or like are you going to say girlfriend or like if you're a not like if you're a trans person like oh my God, I have to like wear this leotard and it's like making me super dysphoric. Like, and I can't really tell anyone and like, there's not really another option in order for us to meet me to wear something different. The whole team does. And I don't know, like, I don't feel like I can say that. And like, just to, to have the opportunity to field that question to another person and to like have some of those needs possibly met, I think just like makes a huge difference. Gymnastics does trend younger. It is thankfully starting to trend older just because of better training practices, I think. But you have these kids who are not only dealing with training in a sport that's very physically demanding, but also you're being a teenager. And, you know, that's when especially kids now really start to figure out things about like sexual orientation and gender identity. And when you're constantly in this bubble that tends to be heteronormative, you if you don't have someone to talk to you about, like, that's going to be, like I said, very mentally taxing. Um, I know that we've talked to two gymnasts um, on our own podcast when we talked to Savannah Shane Hare and Alyssa Perez-Lagunes. Like, they were able to confide in each other um, about being gay at a very, like, young age before they were really out to everybody else while they were, um, before they were in college gymnastics. And I think that's really beneficial because you're like, oh, it's not just me. And I do think a lot of people have felt in the past like it is just me. I mean, we've talked about that on our show, our first gymnast. 
um, when we interviewed Ella Douglas, she was like, I think I'm the only one. And then we found out about Savannah Shane here right after. And it was like, wait, you're not the only one. But for so long, it's just these isolated little pockets. Um, so I think that ha- athletes having those people to talk to is just really beneficial because I think, it, you know, that's a really rough time in general when that same that age that people are in gymnastics is a very emotionally turbulent time. And especially because, you know, queer youth are at a much higher risk for that kind of thing. Um, not that kind of thing for having mental health issues. I just think it's really important to see and have role models or, I mean, even if you don't have someone specifically to talk to, to have these out people who are, can be role models for you in the sport. Like you have kids who can grow up and who play soccer can be like, look, there is a whole population of people in soccer who are queer and softball and it's the same in basketball, but you don't necessarily see that in gymnastics. And I think we're going to be able to get to that. And we always talk about this with our guests, but like your words matter out there to some kid who doesn't understand necessarily or is still working through or trying to figure out who they are. And the fact that they are out and proud um, is really beneficial to them. Um, I wanted to ask about in one of your episodes you said that there are more men who have come out as gay than there are lesbians in gymnastics. Um, and I know you, you mentioned earlier that that kind of uh, has changed over the over the year, I think. But um, you also noted that of the women that have, have come out, most of them have girlfriends in sports where queerness is more normalised. And I just thought those are some really interesting observations, um, particularly because there are, more women in gymnastics than there are men. And so I wanted to know your thoughts on why this might be the case. So I could talk about why I think that there are more um, out gay people than lesbians in gymnastics for days. I think it's also really important to note that this might no longer be true just because of what we know um, about NCAA gymnastics now and all the people who have come out in like the past year or so. But I think it's really important to think about how People who are doing WAG tend to know that their careers are going to be before or the most the height of their career is going to be before the age of 18. Um, If you want to have a high level gymnastics career, it's going to happen before you go to college. And honestly, a lot of people come out in college. It's time for them to figure that out. Um, People are trending to are, are tend. There is a trend that people are coming out. At a younger age, they're able to figure out those things more. They have more language than we used to, definitely, to deal with all of those um, various identities. WAG really does tend to be younger. So you have anyone who's trying to um, get a college scholarship or anyone who's trying to make an Olympic team or at the elite level, just in general, any sort of international team, they're either training so hard that they haven't even thought about... um, gender and sexuality, which we, when we spoke to Nora Flatley, I remember she just said that she's like, I, when I didn't, when I got to college, I like actually had to think about all of those things because I had been training for so long and so hard that I just, my entire life kind of became on hold. Um, but also you might not be in, especially if you're, you know, younger and you might not be in a situation where you feel safe to come out or you might not be 
um, in a situation where you're even aware <laughs> that you are queer or anything like that. But also, th- there's a deadline on WAG. Um, and not in the sense that you can't go back to do high-level WAG once you're out of college, but just there's... M- people do tend to retire at a much younger age, whereas with MAG, there is no deadline in the same way on your career, you know? Um, People who do MAG, they go to college and they train elite at the same time. They um, continue to do elite after college. MAG gymnasts are at a point in their career where they either know where the end is in sight or they have no idea Um, But still, a lot of the gymnasts who have come out haven't come out until after they've been um, either selected for an Olympic team or they've already done multiple international teams or they're done with that part of their career in general. So I really just think it has a lot to do with age um, just because of the way career trajectories work in MAG and WAG. But I also um, I also think that. I think there's something to be said with the way WAG gymnasts are treated um, and this very heteronormative idea of femininity. I mean, we could also talk about how MAG is really just a like being like this is peak masculinity and that's what we're trying to show. And um, despite all of the stereotypes about um, MAG, But in WAG, there is this idea of heteronormative femininity that is really hard to get out of that box and to continue, I think, in the sport. Unless you either hide who you are or you just don't really kind of, I guess, deal with that until you're done with your gymnastics career. Well, we've noticed with um, the women and like the who they're dating piece of it is um, they've consistently told us like that they are like they are often as Kino's mentioning like early in the discovery of sexual orientation they meet like this person fall in love with them that helps them realize that they're queer like because of all of this stuff that Kino's mentioning like it just didn't come up really for them like it was just so repressed that they're figuring that out now and in that same moment where they're figuring themselves out and they're having this first really like transformational relationship they're also learning at the same time um, that there's these other sports where there's like a ton of out people. They also, conversely, sometimes are meeting these partners because they're going to events with like a bunch of athletes from all sorts of sports and they're just like visibly noticing that there's queer people there. Like the people that most of these athletes are dating um, are like masculine presenting women um, or non-binary people, like just folks who show up in like a, a gender non-conforming way, according to society, uh, and can kind of be like picked out of a crowd of queer people. So they're going to these athletic events and like seeing these queer people, and then they're like they meet they meet that person, they meet all their teammates, and they're like, wait a minute, like one, yay, this is why we're dating these athletes because we're finding this like dating pool amongst athletes. But the reason it's not like other gymnasts is because there aren't other gymnasts out. And so they're like, wait, what? wait a minute. Like, why is this so different from my experience? Um, but a lot of it, I think, in terms of like why they're dating these athletes is because like 
you do have these sports like women's soccer or softball or basketball that have been a lot more accepting of queer women for a long time. And so they do have like a half dozen queer women on their team and they're, you know, there's just a lot of them and it's super noticeable to these gymnasts. Um, and especially when it's just so, it's so different from their own experience. Um, can I ask one more question about this actually? Um, I also noticed that you talked about um, how there's more queer people in the newer disciplines like tramp and tumbling compared to the more, uh, to compare to men's and women's artistic, which I think are more traditional and conservative. And I think, um, you know, that comparison is maybe relevant to, for example, figure skating is also quite an old sport. Um, I'm not sure, but maybe it is more kind of traditional conservative too. Um, and so I wanted to ask you about, um, I guess, why the the population of queerness is different in the different disciplines, and particularly ask about rhythmic gymnastics because that's a woman's only discipline. It's hyper feminine, um, and I wondered what you thought about that. The the T and T example and the rhythmic example are both really interesting in different ways. Um, so we had Dennis Vashon on, who's a, a TNT, like at former athlete and coach. And he basically said, like, just the vibe is super different in TNT, and that like people are coming to TNT for a lot of different reasons. And like oftentimes we're excluded in various ways in Wagger Mag at some point. Um, but that also just like the vibe is really different. And so people just kind of like are more themselves in lots of different ways. Um, but also like TNT isn't super gendered. Like the competitions are separated, but like the events are consistent basically across genders. So they're like, you can train together, like everybody can train together and like, you don't need to separate at any point just like logistically, um, which just allows for a lot more like gender variance to come into the space. Uh, and that just includes queerness in a lot of ways too. Like not just like literal gender stuff. Um, and then with rhythmic, it's like kind of the opposite, right? In that like we only have um at least at like um the like Olympic level, we only have women's, and that it's like very much about I would argue even more so than like WAG at this point, very rooted in like things that are traditionally feminine. And so, like, that to me seems like, right, it just seems like the hardest, like, the hardest one to break into, I think. And we haven't, actually, that's not true. There are a couple of out people, I think, in Rhythmic. Um, and there, there probably are tons more. Um, we haven't gotten to connect with anybody yet. Um, but I would be super interested to to talk to them and ask about it because my like gut instinct would be that it's like not gonna be a friendly place, but also like it's the queerest thing I've ever seen. Like, and I mean that in the best way. Like, so it would also like kind of blow my mind if like it was like in the way that it it kind of does with figure skating, where it's like, well, duh, though, right? So I I would be interested to talk to talk to someone about that i think that one of the reasons there's more out people in um like the newer disciplines of gymnastics um that fall under the that gymnastics umbrella 
is because those sports have newer governing bodies and um, have developed more recently. You know, gymnastics has evolved insanely through the 20th century. And at one point, they literally decided to split the events and gender the events. Um, So I think the problem is, is like you have a sport that has become incredibly gendered because of the way it's structured in itself. It's not like we have people on mag and people in wag, you know, competing the same disciplines. It's not like other sports, you know, there's like adjustments in or not adjustments, but like variations. Like we don't have the decathlon um, in track for women. It's the heptathlon, that type of thing. But in gymnastics, it's literally different events. Um, And I think because, excuse me, sorry. And those events were essentially chosen to be like, okay, we're going to choose all these events because we think that they are peak masculinity. And we chose these events because it's peak femininity. And I think that when you start to try and put people in boxes like that, it doesn't create a very um, queer-friendly space, which I think is the problem. So you have other sports where it's like, no, trampoline, it's trampoline. Like, you're doing things on the trampoline, it doesn't really matter. Like, no one's like, okay, girls only do these things on trampoline or boys only do these things on trampoline. It's just like, we all do trampoline. We're all training together. Like, that kind of thing. I think it kind of stems from the history of the sport. We also had, like, Marta and Bella, and, like, it didn't, like, it mattered. And it mattered that we had Marta and Bella in my, like, YMCA gym in, like, suburban Detroit. Like, the way that they yelled at us for no reason. <laughs> came from like what Bella and Marta did. And so like it it's um they were like they were never gonna be okay with like an openly queer women's gymnast mm. ever. Mm. Um and so I think that kind of gave people permission to just like be awful. So so I have a question about um how you're saying how like if if Mara and and Bela were still in charge was it and 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 Blake you said specifically with the rainbow um the rainbow logo is that because were they like known to be homophobic or transphobic or is it more a matter that they kept such a tight control on what like potential like Olympic hopefuls and Olympic gymnasts were doing I guess kind of what does that mean Yeah I so like what we have like evidence for that I know of is the latter. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But and there and like to use the reasoning that people have had to give for why they've had to say no now, like if it's questionable basically to whoever is telling them no, um, they're just gonna say no. Like there's they're not gonna allow somebody to go on a podcast and like maybe say something that the organization wouldn't want them to say. And that might be about like, I witnessed homophobia that somebody else experienced or like, I, this is my, you know, or even this is my own experience. Um, but just like it, it, I don't, the idea that some up, any viewer of gymnastics would have been offended potentially that this person was on our podcast willing to like associate with us. If that would have turned a single person away from watching or like putting their kid in, I think it was just like people are going to even now to some degree say no. 
which is frustrating because we're seen as like a potential problem because we're talking about queerness. Whereas like another, just a, a podcast that just said like, we're talking about gymnastics, like wouldn't be seen as, as risky to those people, which I think just says a lot about like, they, they have something to be worried about probably. Yeah. And, and just, it's just interesting. Um, so I'm just going to speak like out loud here, um, you know, on, on our, on the end of sport, most of the interviews that we've done and most of the, our episodes have been, we've been really focused on like college football, college basketball, you know, NCAA exploitation of college athletes, particularly athletes of color. And that's very much kind of been our focus. And so, and, you know, in that context, we talk a lot about how athletes don't feel free to speak because of the media, because of the control of their coaches or, you know, risking losing their scholarships and like hope for, you know, hopes for like having a professional career and stuff like that. And we obviously know that it happens in other sports too. And I've talked about it with um, some swimming, some friends who are also like swimming scholars about how swimmers, because it isn't because the pro the like professional um, arena for swimming is so small and the money is so little that they are like risking a lot. Um, so it's just interesting to kind of hear about how that plays out in different ways in, in different sports. And from what I remember from when Georgia, where you and I did our episode in summer 2020, and then when we interviewed other people about gymnastics, there was a, a ton of discussion about um, how much, and at least in American gymnastics, the American gymnastics community was so kind of like image obsessed. They had this like super close connection with NBC and how like there were so, so many stories that couldn't come out because of NBC and because of really tight connections between like Marta and Bela, but also other key gymnastics coaches in the media. Yeah. I mean, even now we have athletes like uh, Alyssa Perez-Lugones who had said like there were college teams that told me I would have like had to grow my hair out like it's it's we and we actually focus a lot on NCAA um compared to elite gymnastics and part of that is just like there is so much more of like queer conversation that we can have right now in NCAA um because once for gymnastics, once an athlete has gotten to NCAA, like that's almost always, though that's changing, but that is almost always their final stop in their career for WAG. Um, for MAG, it's very different. Yeah, and so MAG, it's very different, and that's why we see the timelines be different. But so there, and you see this too with like being able to have like a Black Lives Matter meet where it's just like, why, like, what are you going to do? Kick me off the team? Like, this is a mutually beneficial relationship. Like, what are you going to do? Um, and if you do keep me out of lineups, like, I'm now an adult and I, like, can speak up for myself and be like, uh, Twitter, my, like, Twitter is asking why I'm not in the lineups. Would you like me to tell them it's because you're being racist or whatever it is? Um, or I'll go to Title IX or, or the LGBT Resource Center or the Dean of Students or, or the Athletic Director. Um, and... We know of out like WAG gymnasts in elite, uh, not necessarily in the US, but like we know of people and like they aren't in a position to talk to us <laughs> necessarily. Um, at least the ones that we've asked and we haven't asked all of them <laughs> so that people don't speculate. But like it's, it's, And even if even if that was better, I think people still be worried about like the getting into college part. So it's it's all 
it's all kind of sketchy for people, I think, until in some cases, not all, you're in NCAA and happen to be in a really supportive environment. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to say whatever I want. But like all of the other steps up until that point are are silencing people. Mm. I think that raises a really good point that, it, you know, in my research, um, it's not been easy to find people who are either openly part of the queer community themselves or are in some way allies. And, um, you know, most of my research, well, yeah, it's a lot, a lot of it is historical. Um, so I wanted to ask about your process for, um, I guess, finding people to talk to and how much do you think it's changed over, over the last few years? Like, is it easier to to find people to talk to now? Or Honestly, I think Blake probably has the most to say on this because Blake does a lot of the reaching out, but we find a lot of the people that we interview through fans and other gymnasts so we have fans who say hey I saw an Instagram post of this gymnast posting a picture with her girlfriend or hey you didn't know that this person is also out as well um that kind of thing but I think Blake can speak to that a little bit more than I can we've we've been really lucky in that we've had a lot of help from listeners and identifying people um and so typically nine times out of ten what happens is that a gymnast will post a picture of them with their same gender significant other on social media or they'll make a post that's like it's national coming out day and i'm coming out as this on social media it's not picked up by any media other than us at any point most people on the gym internet like don't notice um and then somebody who's a really big fan of that particular gymnast will go to their page, see it, happen to know about us, send it to us, and then we'll be like, hey, do you want to talk about this? And they're like, yeah, sure, nobody's asked. Um, and that, to me, is partially like generational. Like That's from my prior work in the LGBT side of universities. That's just how I've seen a lot of young people coming out to like their extended friends and family. It's just been like putting something like that on social media. Um, and then, um, for us to exist and like have a place to send that to, and for somebody to be there to ask questions is just didn't exist before. Um, but until even the last few years, I don't think gymnasts were willing to put something like that on social media because every, every gymnastic space they had ever occupied made it really clear to them explicitly or implicitly that that wasn't going to be okay for them or was at least risky for them. Um, and so that's changed a ton. And we do a lot of work ahead of time to, to try to prepare people sim- very similarly to what you do, actually. Um, we have a whole spiel at the beginning about like, and this kind of relates to something else you asked, but like, we always tell at the beginning, like, this is for you. Like, this is a space for you to share whatever it is you want with the people who are going to listen. Um, and if there's anything you don't want us to ask about, we won't. If you want anything to be cut, we'll cut it. And you'll hear this before it goes out. And so if, if you, like, decide later on that you don't want something in there, we'll take it out before it goes out. Um, and and then we've respected that. <laughs> um We've also had people 
go on tangents and tell us a bunch of stuff. And we've been like, yeah, like, of course this, you know, we'll cut this out. And then we do. Um, so it's like building that trust was really important. I think too, for, for people to feel like it was okay to, to talk to us. Um, but yeah, we've been lucky. Most people have like come to us. Some athletes have also come to us. It's been like, Hey, I saw your interview with so-and-so I'm also by and in college gymnastics. I would love to talk to you all too. Um, but we're usually reaching out to folks. Um, and we've been extremely lucky. Yeah, it was, it was, but we've been really lucky that, um, we've had so much, just so many yeses and ones that we were surprised by. Um, we've been very lucky. The importance of trust. Um, I mean, as you all have talked about, is is super important. And, and, you know, at the beginning of episode four, um, you, where you interviewed Morgan True of Head Over Heels Athletic Arts, um, Kino, especially, um, you mentioned how at the very beginning of the episode, how the interview with Morgan uh, really helped you learn more about the knowledge and, and, and the language necessary to be able to advocate for queer athletes in the gymnastics space. And if we're being totally transparent and honest, this is what Georgia and I wanted to do with this interview and what we really try to do in generally on the End of Sport, a podcast with Nathan and Derek, is, is to really bring in guests who, who feel comfortable sharing um, their knowledge and their expertise so that we really can can figure out like what would a healthier, non-exploitative, supportive sport environment actually be like and one that's really um, athlete-centered. And so related to that, um, and, and I'll, um, I'll kick this to Kino first and then Blake, you can add to it. Um, what kinds of factors can help a gym truly be gender expansive at the club level? And conversely, what factors can create sort of a gender exclusive um, gym? The motivation for us to make sure that we talked about both of these things is that you can't celebrate gymnastics without talking about all of the issues within gymnastics as well. Um, if we, but you also can't be like nothing good is happening in gymnastics. We've had more pride events this year than we've ever had before. Like previously, we had really only had the UCLA pride meet, and I believe Bowling Green State University had a pride meet as well, but it wasn't um, televised, so we didn't get to see it. Um, but, like, talking about those things is really important, but also talking about all the issues, um, and not just queer issues, and gymnastics is really important. Like, we do like to, you know, spotlight the queer issues that ha um, exist, and there has been some progress in fixing some of those in fixing some of those things, like USA Gymnastics changing their uh, policy regarding trans athletes, but... Like we can't just not talk about the things that are that are issues in gymnastics just because they aren't necessarily one hundred percent related to being queer. Uh, we had in a conversation, or I guess we didn't have a conversation. We had an interaction um, on Instagram with someone who had asked us why we were talking about how we were happy. Um. And Blake can speak more to this because Blake was directly involved in this conversation about why we were happy about the change of the trans um, athletes policy because the one before was very, very bad. Um, and, you know, getting the question of like, well, shouldn't we be focusing on the abuse? Well, here's the thing. Like, those are not mutually exclusive things. Um, you know, queer youth um, and queer people in general are very um like common targets for abuse and that kind of thing so like being like oh these are com 
two completely different things is just completely insane. But um, I don't know. I think it's really important that we do try and have that balance. Like we, you know, we read statements from people who had um, suffered abuse in the gym and that was um, I read those statements. I was the person who recorded them on the podcast, and that was one of the hardest things I've ever done um, because you really just want to, like, give justice to the people who are trying to share their stories. I wanted to do justice to the stories that were being shared with us because I think it's really important that we talk about things, whether or not, whether they fall under the queer umbrella or not. Um, but I also don't want us to stop covering pride meets or anything like that or anything that we think is exciting. Like with, um, a lot of the, um, attention that's been around Black Lives Matter and like UCLA had a Black Excellence meet and I believe LAU, like LAU did have one as well. Like just like LAU and Pitt both had pride meets. I just, we want to talk about gymnastics and celebrate it, but we also have to point out all of the things that are, a problem. I think it's like 98% of it is like just to like let people do what they want. Um, I think if you're going to take it from like, I would call that like a gender inclusive program, like one that's like just letting people do what they want. And then to make like a, a gender expansive program in the way that um, Morgan was defining it, <clears throat> you're adding in when it's appropriate, some educational elements, um, either around gender um, or simple stuff like um, consent and body autonomy. And that's, that is gender education. Um, And if you can even just have some of those lessons in of just like asking kids like, Hey, like if, if you're going to do this skill, you have to have a spot. Is it okay if I touch you here and here? Um, Those are, those are conversations about gender too. And so, um, peace around autonomy and and um, as well as that includes like respecting everybody's names and pronouns in that space um, and stating that that's going to be the case um, in your marketing or in your explanation to parents about what this class is um, and to the kids so that regardless of if the kid is like out to their parents or not that they know that somebody has expressly given them permission to to change that one day at a time if they want to um and most of them won't take you up on it and a lot of them won't take you up on it in that moment but years down the line that might be a really impactful experience for someone Mm. you know that i a hundred percent agree with everything you have both said and i you know I, i feel really strongly about it and I just think you're so right. And that kind of brings me to the next question that I have for you, which um, I'll provide a bit of background on. So historically, um, gymnastics has designed men's and women's disciplines to demonstrate like traditional ideas about masculinity and femininity. And this includes like body shapes, you know, who should be muscly, like movements, who should be dancing and who should demonstrate like stillness and strength and also behaviors like aggression was seen as um, a very masculine trait and necessary for competition where women were uh, meant to be more demure and um, you still kind of see that in gymnastics. And then on top of that, the separation of men and women into different apparatuses and uh, performance requirements avoids any direct comparison between them. And in sports like figure skating, um, scholars, there's a scholar, Mary Louise Adams, she has shown that this 
was an intentional separation to avoid any challenge to men's masculinity and superiority. And so I like to kind of fantasize about what kind of de-gendering gymnastics would look like. Um, You know, I think about having, for example, mixed teams, or as you were just saying, Kino, you know, maybe um, you, you do the apparatuses that you want to, that you potentially you could have like, instead of gender as a category, you could, or sex, I guess, as a category, you can have, um, I don't know, like maybe it's your muscle mass or your height or, you know, there's other other ways we can have these categories. And so I wanted to ask, like, what do you think about this? And at a more kind of international kind of FIG level, like how could how could we redesign the sport to make it more inclusive from the top down? Um. I have a lot of ideas for how FIG could make um, the sport more inclusive, but I think ultimately it really boils down to you have to degender these events um, because I think anybody can train any of these events. You just have to start training them at a young age. So I guess you could divide these a lot of different ways too, even if you wanted to t- create two new different disciplines. If you wanted to take the more artistic, I don't know, like beam and floor events um, and put them in a category. And if you wanted to put like more events that are upper body strength, like, you know, you, we can divide these a whole bunch of different ways that aren't based on gender. Um, and I think you could come up with something like that, but you also don't have to. You can just be like, you choose to compete the events that you compete. And then... The best part about this is I think that for the true all around, you would have someone that like literally can do and compete all eight events. Um, And that would be like gymnastics version of the heptathlon or the decathlon. I think that would be amazing. Um, I don't obviously know all the logistics of these things, but those are my ideas because I think gymnastics doesn't need to be gendered in the way that it is. Like there's no reason it can't be inclusive um, across all the different um apparatuses um apparati oh I should know that um but I don't know I think if we could just like allow everyone to compete on all of the different events like if you want to do beam then you get to do beam um if you want to do rings great you're not going to have shoulders anymore but you get to do rings the idea of mixed teams I think um that would be pretty inclusive as long as it was just like we are choosing people who do the different events um because they do have mixed events sometimes like where they have the mixed teams of um I guess not mixed events but like the mixed teams where they'll have okay we're gonna put these people on a team um and they have a score and we're gonna put these people on a team and they're gonna have score I again I apologize for the dog (laughs) I think as long as those mixed teams are based on apparatus and not necessarily the gender identity of who is doing the apparatus, then I think that mixed teams could be really cool as well. Um, but I just like the idea of like anybody can do anything. It's a free for all. And then we have the big all around at the end. Sitting as a spectator at home, um, watching the Pride Meet and watching, you know, Kyla Ross wear a rainbow stick cape um, in gymnastics. In, at least in college gymnastics, I don't know if you guys know this, that um, there's like sometimes there's like a stick crown or whatever if you stick your landing. And in this case, they had a stick cape and it was literally the pride flag. Um, but also just being or like being a spectator and watching in, you know, the privacy of my own living room, just like seeing the bi flag um, in the arena and among all of the other LG- 
LGBTQ plus flags just was really moving. Like a lot of people do know what the pride flag looks like, but they don't necessarily know that there's more than just the pride flag. Um, and seeing that just like really meant a lot because like we've talked about before, you know, gymnastics hasn't always been the most inclusive space. Also just knowing that like Kalyani Steele came out um, as bisexual before that meet just like really means a lot as well. Um, and rewatching that meet and like watching her get a stick on bars and then watching her wear that rainbow flag in um in Polly was just like you go back and you can still watch that meet and it it just means so much more every single time you see it. Your answer makes me think also. Like imagine if women weren't kind of having to do all the the psychography like, and dance and stuff, like they could just save their energy. Like potentially their tumbling would be as difficult, if not more than men's, you know, like actually this changes everything. I think you can lean into it that way. I think you could also lean the other way mm-hmm. um, and have, so my, my first instinct with this question, so I, at first I wrote like, I wish I had a good answer for this. And then I like wrote a good answer for it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And then I was like, well, I guess you could also do it this way, which is the way that Kino like said maybe wouldn't work, but I think kind of does in that like, you um, allow people to do whatever events they want. They're all combined into one sport. My main issue with that has nothing to do with like the gender politics of it. And it's just like, we already have a major issue with like vault scores are always going to be higher than beam scores. And that like shouldn't be the case. So you would have to standardize a lot of stuff to make this like combination thing happen. And if we can do it, sounds great. I also think there's like an, a sim, maybe simpler solution if you wanted to keep them still as two separate sports and have different people competing in them. Um, so you keep WAG and let's say you call it artistic gymnastics. Then you keep MAG and say you call it like, I don't know, like I was going to say arms gymnastics or like strength gymnastics. But yeah, like maybe like something like that. Yeah, so I, I, I'm I stuck on the name of that, but I want to call it something. And yeah, I don't, yeah, maybe. But, right, so, so I say you have these, like, two sports. You have, like, artistic gymnastics and then, like, strength gymnastics. And any person of any sex or gender can do either or both. Um, that there would probably be a lot of people who could do really well in both, they might do that. It probably makes more sense time-wise to do one or the other, and they'd probably do that in the same way that people sometimes do, like, TNT and gymnastics, but, like, usually have a focus. Part of my reasoning behind this is, like, a lot of the argument against, in particular, having, like, trans women and men compete against women has been, like, body type stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's stupid. <laughs> because like yeah like I am closer in size to Kyla Ross than Kyla Ross is to Caitlin Ohashi and, like I'm five foot ten like gr- like grown dude um and I'm closer in size to Kyla Ross than Kyla Ross is to Caitlin Ohashi right like they are not even remotely the same body type in a lot of ways and yet like it we like to us it's like of course it's fair they're competing against each other I think if you just, like, let people do 
of any like if if a six foot two dude with a like a beard and like chest hair can beat the best in the world currently on beam i'm like go for it it's like not built for me like when i go to to adult gymnastics and i get on a beam my foot is the size of the beam it's way harder for me or kyla ross like to be on that apparatus than someone like Kaylin ohashi um that already exists in the sport there's people who do better at certain events because of they're really really strong or because they're really really fast or they're really tall or they're really short like or a combination like that already exists there's what like i'm a i'm a vault and floor person i have hips and thighs and like butt for days i like i don't have any arm strength like i would lean into like if i got to just like pick what i would do like i'm i when i and i do i when i go to adult gymnastics i don't touch rings i don't touch pommels partially because i never have and i don't want to start and like basically embarrass myself but partially just like i'm not interested and like I, there's like a bunch of reasons why it would be really, really hard for me to be the best in the world on beam. And that works both ways. Like it is harder to build muscle mass and do rings. Like if you were assigned female at birth and if you are some, if Simone can beat the best in the world on pommels, give Simone the medal. That's amazing. I don't know a single man that can do a back walkover. <laughs> not like so so just to clarify do you are you saying that basically if we had two different disciplines but you can basically self-select into which one you want to do and that would be the way to kind of make make the sport more inclusive yeah because people yeah. are going to gravitate towards what they'd be better at mm. and if you like they say this on rupaul's drag race a lot like i want to i want to compete against the best i want to win against the best mm. Um, I think that's such a cool idea. I'm like, this is really cool. <laughs> are there issues to be worked out with both of these? So many, right? Like, are there more events that would favor people with arm strength or like assigned male at birth people? I think maybe. So we might want to look at that. But mm-hmm. like, to me, it's just like, if you have the skills to do this, then like, do it. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think that the, what kind of like what you said too, is that when you mentioned like, yes, there would be sort of kinks to work out and like the kinks are the things that people like detractors, whether they're like, you know, transphobic people, homophobic, whatever they throw out. What about this? What about this? And that's always like the gut response when of course there are major issues with the way it's set up now. And like, we get this a lot, like our, sort of catchphrase on the end of sport for the long time was that like we wanted to cancel college football and and we still maintain that that it's like a fundamentally exploitative and racist project like it's awful like rooted in white supremacy and people are like what happens if we cancel football and like what about the athletes and we're like yes we like we know there are issues that would need to be dealt with the point is to try to address the issues and, and sort of build something up from the ground up that could be different or, or like sort of our thing has kind of been like we should sort of separate um, sports from the college experience. But obviously that's like a huge project and we, we, you know, we need to sort of think more about it. But again, like the whole idea of, an, of imagining something new 
is so mind-boggling for people and they just will not even consider it when what you're when when the discussion that the three of you were having just now shows how generative and how like amazing those things can be if people actually talk about them. Yeah. And I think like that's the problem with a lot of like I run into that problem with my own personal politics all the time. Mm -hmm. I was just having this conversation um, and I'll leave like the specifics out of it for like triggering people reasons. But like I was talking about like the gym news with someone today Mm -hmm. and about Mm -hmm. how like I very much like don't really believe that like police should exist as they do currently. And also that like I want want or wanted certain people to rot in jail forever Mm -hmm. and for the police to storm their house. And how those two things, like, I have to kind of figure that out. Um, and there, and I think that, you know, for me in, in politics and in this, a lot of times there are steps that we can take to show, like, to push things one step further and one step further to where these sorts of revolutionary burn it down ideas, like, aren't burn it down feeling anymore. Like they are like, well, that is the natural next step feeling. And -hmm. I don't think that's always possible. Um, But I think it like kind of is here. And I think like USAG's recent policy changes around trans people are a good example of that. That um, yes, we still have like WAG and MAG, but that as of like a few months ago, it doesn't matter for um, like through level 10 um, and in with elite you have to follow FIG which is basically the same though a little bit more restrictive uh, with that like sex policing stuff that we've talked about um, but that if you are a young person and you realize that you're trans um, and that whether you're non-binary or a more binary trans person you want to compete in the other gymnastics discipline, you can switch at any time and you can switch back at any time and that that's infinitely allowed. And that just like wasn't possible until six months, like six months ago um, to switch from WAG to MAG or MAG to WAG. You had to provide proof of gender related surgery, which you can't really access until you're 18. So it made it so that no trans person could switch disciplines ever mm-hmm. because we couldn't like, it just mathematically is not possible. Um, and now we can do that. And so I think as as we see over the next you know 10 years, people doing that and like it being totally fine, <laughs> then we can move on to the next step maybe of that conversation. Um, because people, to your point of like people pick apart the arguments, the first argument, pe- people all, they only care about trans women competing in WAG. Like they don't care about me competing in MAG mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, but their whole thing is like there's trans women are going to come in and ruin the sport and they're just going to win everything. And I'm like, in literally no sport that has become more inclusive to trans women, have we seen trans women dominating the sport? Right. And in no situation before we were excluding trans women did we see trans women dominating any sport mm-hmm. nor to Kino's point did we see people like faking being trans to do a sport right. so like and like spoiler alert you're not about to, you're not going to see it now it's not gonna, it's still not gonna be a thing oh my god yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just not it's not uh, it's not a thing. And so I think little stuff like this, like USAG changing their policies, as you know, the people who will someday be the people who might get elected to positions at USAG or hopefully whatever replaces USAG, mm. when those people are today's ten year olds who are running it, um, then I think this will you know will be in a much different place in this conversation. And I hope it's faster than that, but like, I think that's actually kind of how it works, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Because the other mm-hmm. argument, like the other thing, and I know I'm spoiling another question kind of, but like people have said like, why are you celebrating mm-hmm. <laughs> like these LGBT policy changes? We should be focusing on abuse. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a lot to that. But one of them is like, this actually took decades. <laughs> like it wasn't faster. Mm, right. It took forever. <laughs> So it's it's gonna. I expect it to keep taking a long time. I hope it doesn't. I've seen a lot of that on Twitter, and and because you know USAG has been making these changes, whereas other sports have not, um, that does seem to sort of be one of the default um, responses within the gymnastics community. Is that like you know we're dealing with all these issues of sexual and physical and mental emotional abuse and fat phobia and all these things. Sort of why why does this matter? Sort of why are we focusing on this now? And that just seems like fundamentally homophobic and, and transphobic and, and you know at, at its core it's like it's like as if you can't be thinking about all these things at one time right these things all coexist and they all actually are all fundamentally related to white supremacy you know they all have like the same root um and obviously fo- like you know ex- making the sport more expansive doesn't take away anything from the other related fights that are going on like that's the other thing um and and so I just was sort of wondering, like, to what extent do you, do you as a podcast and the co-host, to what extent do you get these responses? Um, and sort of how do you respond to them in addition to what you've already said about it? I mean, this response is homophobic and transphobic because these are not mutually exclusive issues. Um, LGBTQ plus athletes are, you know, statistically higher to suffer from abuse. To So to be like, well, these issues aren't really related, so why are we happy that we're solving issues on one side when we're not, haven't solved all of these issues with abuse? It's like, okay, but this is one step closer to helping deal with some of the queer issues because we're going to help, hopefully, take athletes out of situations where, like, they could be abused. I don't think we've actually had any responses like this to the content that we're putting out, but we've also you know, really made an effort to talk about all of the current issues in gymnastics, including abuse. So maybe that's why we haven't. As a podcast, I don't know that we have received much. I have received much. <laughs> oh, one of them was as a podcast. That's true. One of them was as it was as the podcast. Um, but the pushback wasn't to the podcast. Like I was just like, at first it was accidental and then I was like, well, this is relevant. Um, accidentally on the podcast account when I was replying to someone. But um yeah, we don't we haven't really gotten anything but positive feedback on the podcast. As like a person who's on the internet, I see that stuff all the time. Um and yeah, like that's always been my response too, is like one, like it's still important to 
actually like one of the most effective things you can do to reduce physical, emotional, and sexual abuse in any space is to have like anti-racist policies and anti-racist work happening and like LGBTQ plus inclusive policies happening. Um, LGBTQ plus youth are at a significantly higher risk of experiencing all types of abuse and people have always conflated that as like, oh, people are queer because they're abused. No, people are abused because they are easily targeted (laughs) because they're queer. And the more the actual space that they're in, like a gym, is reinforcing negative things about the individual, the more ammo the abuser has to, to use to manipulate that kid. So in putting any policy in place that is supporting um, LGBT youth in particular, who are a large percentage of abuse survivors in gymnastics, just because statistics, um, but also because you are giving yet another example of like actually providing gymnasts with opportunities for autonomy and voice and that like their feelings matter. Um, when you're doing that, like you are working to prevent abuse and that you like can't actually effectively prevent abuse unless you're addressing those policies. Hmm. I think, um, I wanted to kind of switch a little bit to something that you brought up in, in your podcast, which is you talk about attending, um, a pride meet at UCLA and maybe you've attended more than just that one. Um, but I wanted to ask about that. So, you know, some of us have never attended a Pride Meet, so I wanted to know kind of what that looks like and what initiated it. And I also wanted to know about, um, like, how that, how attending that meet as spectators felt for you as part of the queer community. To see someone doing a floor routine and to see the trans flag in the background, I, like, full ugly cried. <laughs> like, I... And I sent it to, this was pre like talking to Augustus and Victoria, but I like sent it immediately to them. And I was like, look, like this is happening. Um, and similarly, when Pitt did their pride meet, um, I worked with them on that and made sure they had the non-binary flag. And so I sent that to Augustus's mom too. And I was like, look, like <laughs> Augustus's flag is at this gymnastics meet. Um, and that's just one of those things that I never could have imagined that we would like ever see. (laughs) So that just for me, is really cool. Um, Yeah. As Kino mentioned, we, so my background is, so I previously was the LGBTQ plus coordinator for a university. um, And prior to that did similar work throughout my grad school, undergrad careers. And so I have some background in the, like how to plan an event, that actually like really highlights and celebrates LGBTQ plus people in the ways that like they want it to be. Um, And so I made, but then we saw this UCLA pride meet and I was like, Oh, this is like really well done. Like I wouldn't have even thought of some of this stuff. Uh, And so ended up creating a 12 page document um, that's available. We have on our, we've tweeted before, Um, I'm going to put it in the link tree. It should be in our link tree. I'll make sure it's there. (laughs) It's 12. Thank you. 
And it's 12 pages with like visual aids of like how to have a pride meet um, with a lot of options. It's very like, if you can afford a lot of stuff, do all this. And if you can't afford any of that, here's still all the stuff that makes this really good pride meet. You know, this this kind of gets to something that um, you all have mentioned a few times um, in, in talking about the fan base of gymnastics and sort of the extent to which, uh, I guess, the, the the level, the extent to which there's like a significant queer fan base of the sport. Um, I don't know how well you can answer this, but to what extent do you think there's sort of a greater proportion of queer fans in gymnastics maybe compared to other sports? And, and, if, and if that is the case, why, why would that be? They are the sports that you dance in. <laughs> like, and I think that like dance and queer culture have always been incredibly intermingled. Um, I think for what, because gymnastics has been so specifically coded as like a girl sport um, for so long to people that, for gay men in particular, it was like seen as acceptable to like gymnastics because like, of course, gay men like girl things was the idea. Um, and it's similar to like being in theater or being in choir. It's just like, this is a thing that we typically code as feminine. And so we see a lot of women and then we see a lot of gay men, I think is kind of how it's been. What I, I don't know how to explain as much though I found to be very true and it may also be related to some other factors, but like there's also so many like queer women and like trans and non-binary people who are also fans of gymnastics. So there like is something about it that's drawing us, like literally the two of us who aren't gay men, like to it also um, over other sports. I think there is something about it. I was just going to ask if you think there's something about like the glitziness or like the um, theatricality, particularly in WAG, like, is, do you think that's maybe part of the appeal? Yeah. I think it goes back to the, like, why gay men are allowed to like it though. But mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, we have like surveyed our own audience, which isn't like a great representation, but like, it's not like a bunch of gay men. Like it's very much not. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a few, but like, they're just not the people who like we're talking to. I think that's also really different. Like the who is queer and watching the sport and then also thinking about the queerness of it in a like feminist analysis way and would like be interested in something like us is probably really different from like who's watching the Olympics. I think who's watching the Olympics is different from who's watching college. I don't know. I, I think, um, College gymnastics in particular, at least for me, is very, like, a little bit more, like, story-driven <laughs> in that, like, it's about the team and, like, a little bit more, at least the fandom, I think, is a little bit more about, like, the athletes as people. Um, And that, to me, I think is just going to, like, draw more queer people in. Um, but <laughs> and, and, Yeah, college gymnastics is, like, is well and and other people have made this point too that like um some people have argued that like gymnastics is drag um because it is like an extreme performance of like wag is an extreme performance of femininity 
and like we don't think of it as such, but like mag is an per- extreme performance of masculinity in a lot of ways at this point. Um, but that also in like college, you see like the coaches, um, the the women coaches will be in clothes for warmups that make sense for their job. Like a t-shirt and like athletic shoes because they're like moving mats around and stuff and running around the gym. And then for the actual meet, they change into heels. And that's been described by some people as drag. Which is which doesn't make any like logistical sense. Um and a lot of people like and queer people um love to have something to like make fun of, but like in a lighthearted way, in a very like turn it on its head like we don't necessarily, and some of us do, especially the more power and privilege we have, is that that, like, we want to, like, actually be mean, but, like, maybe need an outlet to, like, laugh with something and, like, maybe a little bit at something that's, like, kind of harmless to laugh at. Like, the coaches aren't going to, like, well, me, they will, but, like, a normal person, like, they're not going to know I'm, like, laughing at the fact they're wearing, like, they're wearing a ridiculous outfit. Um, and it used to be more so part of, like, college gymnastics culture that, like, there was like flashy outfits war between some of the women coaches that kind of started the whole thing. Um, that I think like that, that turned into these like rivalries, which I think queer people can be really drawn to for like the dramatics of it. Um, but I also think that like for me at least, and for, I think other like former gymnasts who are queer people in any, like any version of queer people to see gymnasts like loving the sport in college in particular um I think be really healing for those of us who like felt like we were pushed out or that like gymnastics was a negative thing like I left gymnastics and I was like this was kind of terrible and then I found college gymnastics and that's how I got back into it like it just energetically was so different and I think for me really healing to like witness um, and so I think that we see a little bit, at least in who's talking about college gymnastics, more types of queer people. Um, I think we're all coming to like root for something or kind of like pick on something in a fun way <laughs> or both. I don't know how straight people think about stuff, but I don't think that most straight men at least like come to sports being like, I... Tom Brady is just such a personal inspiration for me, like as a man and like a father. Like, I don't think that's like why they watch it. I think what you've just raised really taps into some of the analysis of gymnastics and that the way it is um, has been kind of presented for entertainment purposes, it's kind of packaged as a soap opera and like all the gymnasts have their personalities and their characters that they play and someone's usually cast, as you say, as like the underdogs and the, the winner, someone's, a you know, a villain. The older kind of veterans are um, often seen as quite uh, like bitter kind of. And so there is this whole storyline that you can kind of um, – invest in and you get behind people and and I think the format of other sports particularly when it's like two teams playing against one another it's hard to kind of get that level of um I guess like individual character traits kind of coming through yeah and I think like there are other sports that 
are more individualized. And those are also, they might not have a huge queer audience, but they have a huge like niche audience Mm -hmm. in some other particular way. Like Mm -hmm. the people who like really love X games are also really different from the people who like football. Mm -hmm. Just like people who like gymnastics are like mostly really different from the people who like football. Mm -hmm. Um, That there's something different about that too. Yeah. In that like individual story piece. Um, That's kind of a like screw the system punk rock version (laughs) of it. I just realized that swimming is probably like a weird middle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they, how do I say it's not as popular as these sports. So like it's popular literally only during the summer Olympic games and it's like risen a fair bit because of Michael Phelps, but they definitely play, I mean, NBC and that's kind of, I'm almost kind of curious what the NBC sort of connection would be between gymnastics and swimming because NBC does so much to like, you know, do these like, you know, rags to gold medal stories of like every single swimmer. And so, and I remember growing up and like watching them on TV and like being all excited and, and you know, and, and just, you know, something you said earlier about how I think that the way that you approach your fandom is that you like athletes for sort of their values and kind of like their beliefs. And how do I say, I think that, I think I think that's how a lot of people approach fandom, but I think they they see beliefs and values, of course, in a different way. Like there are so many people that love Tom Brady, right? And and they view him because they think he's a good person. Like, but but right, but they don't necessarily see or are willing to believe all the things that maybe we would be willing to sort of see and believe about him and other athletes. Um exactly yeah that's what yeah exactly what I mean. And so like we when again when we sort of have our episodes about other sports, it's amazing and like a a really awful way I guess to sort of see how little fans are kind of willing to see beyond the like glamorous glamorous like so super positive portrayals of certain athletes even though they have these horrible histories of saying these bad things or you know you know it's sort of a whisper network of sort of who said what and who's done who but like people enough people know about it um but I I do I think this you know I don't want to say a term, but I think people in the last five years have been more focused on, you know, like what are their values? Do they align with mine in the sense of like really loving athletes that are kind of queer or anti-racist and stuff like that? That's certainly been kind of a more common thing in the last five years. I'm really interested in this. And I think a lot of listeners are too. And you have both alluded to it a lot in all the other questions you've answered. And what I want to know is what we can do as sports scholars and activists and fans to be better allies advocating for queer rights in sports like gymnastics. One of the things that we mentioned that's like a small thing is that, and, and we slip on this all the time, is like I've really tried to start referring to sports as like mag and wag and not men's and women's. Um, we know of, and some of this is like, Via our podcast, I think the world will know a little bit more about this in the coming like months. But like, there are people who are not women who are doing WAG, and there are people who are not men who are doing MAG already. And so, like, to call those individuals like a person doing like men's gymnastics is like a microaggression against that person, um, or at least feels like it in that moment. So, um, and if we're only saying MAG and WAG for those people, then we're kind of like 
indicating which like that doesn't really work. So I've tried to just start saying it all the time. You know, just as as an aside here, in French, it doesn't translate as like women's artistic gymnastics. It really? translates as um, feminine gymnastics, feminine artistic gymnastics. Oh. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting difference, actually. <laughs> yeah, we might just just I don't like I don't love feminine masculine language either, but like mm-hmm. I'd rather have that. Mm. <laughs> that would be better. <laughs> Um, it's like one little, like it's a, it's a small thing, but I think it does really like make a difference over time. Um, I think talking, if you are an athlete or a fan of a team, um, to ask them to do a pride meet and to consult with us on it in that process, because like it can actually cause some harm if you mishandle doing that so um we're more than more than happy to help um for parents coaches anyone working in a gym i think asking about even if you're like if you're a parent your kid isn't lgbt um i think fans can do a little bit of this too but like we don't need a ton of vigilanteism to happen but like asking what a gym's LGBT policies are. And if they don't have any, like also connecting them to us, because that's another thing where it's like, they probably just haven't thought about it. And, and there's a lot of resources to help make those policies exist. Um, Standing up to any like queer phobia that you see online. So if like someone who is in mag posts a video of them dancing uh, and somebody replies to that and is like, why are you being so feminine? But in like less kind words, probably like be the person who calls them out. Um, I don't want to say like sharing our podcast for like our benefit, but like sharing the story, like the stories that gymnasts have shared with us, I think are really valuable. Um, and listening to them and then also like continuing to listen to them. Um, as of this August, it'll be those all college gymnasts will, uh, and elite gymnasts will have no restrictions in terms of taking financial support. Um, currently college gymnasts can't risk, like we can't pay them for being on the podcast. Um, and they can't get like paid for being like on Ellen, something like that. Um, but as of August, that'll change. So, um, whether that's as they continue in their careers, hire them, or, you know, if you can find ways to financially support them once those become more available, I think that's important. Um, another, like, I don't want to say it's about supporting us, but like on our tea public store, we also feature other artists, um, but like wearing stuff that's like visibly queer and gymnastics related, even if you're not queer we intentionally try to make our merch so that like we'll have one that says like gymnast in rainbow colors but also one that says like gymnastics in rainbow colors so that you don't have to be a gymnast to to wear that um and i think just like showing like being can we talk at the beginning like being that person that somebody knows is supportive like isn't suspecting but who like who knows that they're supportive 
visibly, I think can just be really important. People ask me this a lot. Um, you know, people are like, oh, you watch gymnastics. They're like, how do you feel about, you know, all of these issues in gymnastics right and all right now and all of the abuse? And have you seen this documentary and, and everything? And I'm like, sometimes it's like, yes, I've seen this one, this documentary. No, I haven't seen that one. Like, I'm a fan of gymnastics because I love gymnastics. I think it's a beautiful sport. I think it's an incredibly difficult sport. Um, but you can be a f- fan of a sport while also still acknowledging and challenging all of the issues within it. Um, I think that if you're a fan of gymnastics who doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that there are major systemic issues of abuse within the culture, then I think that that's a problem. In the end, we're here to support the athletes, and I think it's really important to continue supporting them and also pushing, you know, all of the governing bodies of gymnastics to do better, even if that's just us as fans talking about these issues and bringing um, more attention to them. The fact that people are reaching out to you, the fact that you have such a wide audience and like you have a grandma that's contacting you, I mean, it's clear that your um, podcast really serves such an important like educational tool. And, and, you know, in response to this question, both of you were saying, oh, you know, we're not trying to like, you were kind of hinting, like, we're not trying to plug the podcast, but like what you're doing as an educational service to help expand, like make, make the community more expansive. So I don't know, kudos to you all for, for what you're doing and, and for really, you know, that's a lot of work that you're having to do and really like reaching out to people and, and, and trying to, you know, frame the discussions in the most, you know, healthy, positive ways possible. And, um, yeah, I just think what you're doing is so important. Thank you. I am just so glad this exists. And, um, you know, growing up, I never would have thought this would have existed or like uh, there's been a couple of people who have been like, I'm in like my 40s or 50s and I'm, you know, there was somebody who messaged me was like, I'm gay. I know I'm gay. I'm married to a woman. Like I'm just not in a place to come out. You're kind of like the only person I've told. <laughs> um and this means a lot to me to have this space. And, uh, um, and yeah, it's, it's been, um, it is a lot of work and it's also like, so we get so much validation back <laughs> that it's been like very easy to like motivate me at least to like do it and to keep doing it. Uh, and it's also gotten, yeah, it's also gotten like a lot easier logistically because we do have like a list of people <laughs> who we still want to talk to, who we just like haven't gotten a schedule. Um, but thank you. Cause it, it's, it's, um, it's been amazing for us too, but we're, we're really glad that we get to, that we get to do it. Yeah. I think you guys have started a really cool, really, really important conversation. And it's awesome that it's, you haven't just started it, but it's been growing and it's continuing to grow. I think it's so important and, I just want to thank you both for for doing it. And thanks thanks for bringing us on and having the conversation. And I do mean it like any research help you ever need. <laughs> we like we have we have a lot of stuff. So we'll connect. I feel like we could keep talking for another hour, but we've <laughs> kept y'all for almost three somehow. We're sort of the whole the whole sort of start to finish. Um, but again, thank you two so much. This was just absolutely wonderful and we really appreciate your time with us tonight. Thank you.